0: Welcome to Mental Health and You. This podcast brings you the best information and advice from across the Norfolk and Suffolk Foundation Trust. Every fortnight we will hear from one of our specialist areas, be it school and parent support, the Recovery College, well-being, or research. So this week is research and we're recording remotely of course so please excuse any dogs barking or children bursting in. I'm joined today by Kate Rowe who is co-investigator on Ready and lead for the delivery of children and youth research at NSFT. Hi Kate. <laughs> Hi Claire. And Kirsten Wakefield who is the Ready study lead at NSFT. Hello. Hello Claire. And I'm Claire Musimer and I do the research communications NSFT and we will be talking about the Ready Study but I just wanted to start off guys by having a bit of a chat about research in general. Perhaps you can tell me about NSFT research and you know how do children get involved? NSFT
1: are a very research active trust and we do research that we work with people who live in both Suffolk and Norfolk We particularly are interested as well, working with young people in research. So there are studies, um, projects that come into NSFT that are specifically um, engaging young people. We've worked with studies um, about uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, um, post-trauma, phobias. So we can do a lot of different types of studies. And obviously, we're really interested in encouraging young people to take part. Young people can find out about research through accessing sort of NSFT itself. We have a website um, that will give a bit more information. They can talk to um, GPs. They can talk with their parents. If they're already receiving services from Norfolk and Suffolk, then they can uh, talk to their coordinators, their uh, mental health practitioners. So there's a number of ways that um, young people can find out about research.
0: That's brilliant. And um, yeah, we'd really encourage everybody to get in touch and I will put all the links in the show notes for anybody who might be interested in a bit of research or know a child who who, who this might apply to. So today we're talking about a particular study that we're running at the moment, aren't we? That's called the Ready trial. Now, I know the trial is aimed at young people with low mood or depression. Yeah. Is this a common complaint, a rising complaint in in young people do you think? Yes it is. Existing research tells us that
2: depression among young people is common throughout the world and that rates have increased significantly since the 1980s. Statistics from NHS Digital show us that one in six school aged children in the UK have some sort of mental health problem. The risk of depression rises sharply as children transition into adolescence with four to eleven percent reporting symptoms of low mood and depression this rises to about 20 percent by mid-adolescence
0: wow so it's definitely an area that we need to be looking at and perhaps you can explain a little bit about low mood and depression i mean i'm sure there's lots of parents listening and they might want to know like what to look out for what would what might you expect children to feel like I, i think it can be very difficult for a
1: parent to spot so that vital point where you know you should be getting help at an early stage can very often be missed things like withdrawing to your room not really mm-hmm. talking becoming isolated from your friends and i think again just really thinking about covid i think we're seeing a real increase in those experiences for young people when they're taken away from their normal social groups that help um you know, sort of prevent low mood from happening,
2: those sorts of things. I also think one of the other things that you see, because young people are under a tremendous amount of stress, and and we know that prolonged stress that's unrelieved can can lead to depression, is extreme sensitivity to To criticism and i think often as adults we might dismiss that particularly in a child who is a perfectionist or an overachiever but extreme sensitivity to criticism is actually a sign of of depression itself Mm, Um, that's
0: interesting
1: and i think as well i think um you know something for parents to look at is really changes in what is usual behavior for their child so are they eating more than they do are they eating less than they do you know are they more angry are they more emotional are they less angry sometimes depression can be about repressing and hiding emotion through fear of being rejected or punished so I think it's about it's very much about the parent really connecting with their young person and and observing their behavior and asking the right questions early on just to to make sure and, and check in with you know, their children's well-being.
0: Yeah, it can be really hard being the person in the doorway, can't uh-huh. it? When you're a parent, you're looking in on your child in their room and they, they're often not happy at you. But what would you sort of recommend if, if you're worried about your child? Talk to them.
2: It, it's not easy. And, it, you know, even parents don't don't like being rejected. But if you don't take that first step, then it doesn't give them the opportunity to to tell you that something's wrong.
1: And I think, listen, you know, when you talk to your child, as Kirsten said, is really listen, don't bring in judgments, don't bring in solutions too early, just yeah. let them talk and be, and really acknowledge, um, and maybe sort of just, you know, say, absolutely, you know, I understand why you would be feeling this right now. It, you know, people come with um, shame, again, Kirsten alluded to that earlier, with depression and that they shouldn't be feeling this way that mental health is a bad thing you know all of that sort of um stigma that goes with it so it's really important as a parent to really just you know reaffirm with your um child that that's okay and that you know you will support them through this whatever that means and whatever that takes
0: so why do you think low mood is so common in young people does it affect some groups of people more than others or or is it just across the board? Well,
2: low mood and depression are common throughout the world in the 21st century, whether you're a young person, an older person or you know somewhere in between. Um, depression can have a lot of causes. Some of them are an, an imbalance in the brain's chemicals. But a lot of depression is a reaction to cir- the circumstances a person finds themselves in. Uh, most common factors leading to depression are loss and that can be anything from the loss of a a pet a family member through death or divorce or the loss of a social group as a young person moves through the educational system Um, because with that with moving up into high school for instance They can lose their status and their identity because they've come from a small primary school and they're going into a much larger high school environment.
1: And I think, again, with COVID, you know, you're seeing a lot of loss. You're seeing, you know, we're all experiencing a loss of what we call a normal way of life. We've all had to adapt very quickly. And for young people, that has been a loss of structure to the day, a loss of familiarity in terms of routine, a loss of social contact. Um, A a lot of a sense of almost freedom as well with with all the having to wear masks, having to sanitize your hands. You know, we're expecting an awful lot of adaptation and change at a time when they're already going through a lot of psychological and emotional change. But anyway, so that's just been Mm -hmm. really added on to that.
0: Yeah, I think COVID has been so cruel, hasn't it? And like children are meant to be going in one direction of becoming more and more free as they get older. And yet, actually, it's kind of gone the other way for a lot of children. And I think
1: young children as well, very much so in the fact that they may not be able to understand what's going on. And again, I think, you know, with with lots of different types of losses, very often they don't understand what is going on in the adult world and they don't have. Words to verbalize how they're feeling. They're not given opportunity to verbalize how they're feeling, so they internalize a lot of that sort of um, almost sort of distress that they're feeling about what's going on around them. Either parents and, and fear, up. and fear. Yeah, absolutely. You know,
2: because they, you know, they do, they are exposed to the news. They, you know, they do know that people are dying, and and a, a young child is going to be afraid that that somebody they love is going to die and it's often not talked about, uh, young people are under a tremendous amount of stress, particularly during COVID, where they're trying to learn online. They don't know whether or not they're going to sit exams. They, you know, they don't know what their future holds for them. It's it's a really, really difficult time for young people, as Kate said, on, yeah. top, on top of just, Aww. if you like, normal and inverted commas, adolescence.
0: Um, yeah, it's really tough. And I suppose also there's like... You know, I, I noticed it with my children. There's that lack of opportunity to let the stress go. Like yeah. there's just, you know, they're not running around playing football at break time, are they? It's like it's just those easy stress relievers are, are much harder to, to find, I think. The,
2: the demands that are put on them. I, I I had a colleague tell me that their their child was given a snow day recently uh, because of the weather. But the school still set through the work that they were supposed to do that day. And it was due the next day. So how is that a break for them you know that's
1: and I think also change is a big thing um very often you know young people right from early age you know go through changes that are imposed on them um going to school changing routines um changing family and home life and situations and you know when those sorts of Things change you might find that the relationship or the child is observing their parents changing in terms of their behavior and attitude and you know it's incredibly confusing and um, it's an incredibly vulnerable time so I think there's an awful lot of external um, impact on young people um, you know at this current time and that certainly has a an impact on on their mood and their sense of well-being and who they are. And
0: their sense yeah. of control. And the other part of that question was just about like whether this affects some groups more than others. Do we have any stats on that at all?
2: Oh I do. I was hoping you'd ask me. Oh,
0: goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I love a few stats.
2: Okay so research has shown us that 70% of children who are on the autistic spectrum have at least one mental health condition People who identify as LGBTQ plus have higher rates of common mental health problems and lower well-being. Children from the poorest 20% of households are four times as likely to have a serious ment- mental health issue by the age of 11 as those from the wealthiest 20% of the population. Um, As you might expect, young people in the youth justice system are three times more likely than their peers to have a mental health problem, and refugees and asylum seekers are more likely to experience poor mental health, including depression, PTSD, and other anxiety disorders than the general population. Children from ethnic and minority backgrounds, and that includes the traveling community, are less likely to have access to traditional mental health services. And finally, children and young people with a learning difference are three times more likely than the average child to have a mental health problem.
0: Wow, so there's some groups there that we definitely need to be focusing on. Perhaps now is a good time to talk about the Ready Trial. From what I understand, this is about activity and how it might help your mental health. Is there much evidence for? activity helping mental health as a regular exerciser lifelong i would
1: personally (laughs) vouch for the benefit of um exercising overall well-being um it can be quite meditative um it makes you feel good so but in terms of the research um what we do know is that there is some research out there that has explored how physical activity may help in management of depression and um You know, there are several factors that they believe play a part in that. It can provide a chance to develop new skills, um, which promotes a sense of self-worth and accomplishment, which, you know... With young people, it's really, really important to embed that sense of self-identity. Create creates new social connections with people, a sense of belonging. All of those sort of things are protective factors against depression. But regular exercise actually can also create routine and structure and meaningfulness um, to someone's um, day, week, which, again, we know has quite an impact in terms of the management of depression. It provides a diversion from depressive thoughts. That sort of general sort of structure of bringing exercise into your daily and weekly routine has quite a, a broad ranging impact. On a physiological level, um, there is suggestions about it having an anti-inflammatory effect on the body. And when depression is linked to having an inflammatory Um, element to it. And anything that brings anti-inflammatory helps manage um, the depression as well. So again, exercise is a good way of doing that. So it's all about sort of the potential to improve the mood. Um, There is a growing body of evidence that, but mainly it focuses on adults. So again, we don't know how much that actually impacts on young people. So this is really what the READY study is very much about, is looking at does um, physical activity help prevent depression and improve mood? But also what we need to know is, is there a maximum type of exercise, i.e. in duration, in intensity? You know, what would we be looking at? So is short bursts of high intensity exercise better than longer duration of slower activity? So The REACH study is really trying to look at all of those elements,
0: really. Wow, I never knew that exercise could do quite so many good things. I knew it was good, but I didn't know it was that good. Okay, so can you talk me through the study? Like, what can a young person expect if they take part? Um, What is it all about?
2: Okay, I can. So, the REACH study is a feasibility trial, which means that it's a, a very small study to see what works and what doesn't work before they launch a much bigger trial. So initially, the study was going to take place face-to-face, but then COVID hit and everything had to be moved online. So what happens with this trial now is that we in the research department receive a referral. Now, at the moment, those are coming from Ormiston families, but it could also come from a self-referral by the young person or their parent or carer. When we receive that referral, we send out a welcome pack, and that explains what taking part in research involves and what... We also send out information about the Ready Study. Once I'm confident that families have received that information and have, have had a chance to look at it and discuss it, I'll give them a ring. And when I, when I make that initial phone call, it's absolutely fine if the young person or the parents say, "You know what, this just just isn't for us right now." You know, I and I say, "Right, you know, thanks, thanks for thinking about it, and you know, don't worry." that's fine. Um, I would also ask them if they're happy to stay on on our research database in case a study that, that might be of more interest to them comes up.
0: That's good, yeah.
2: If the young person and their parent are carer, and it is important that, that both the young person and their, their parent are on board with this because the parents actually have to consent to take part in the study as well to support their, their young person through it. Um, right. I emailed them through the consent forms and at the moment, those, everything is done online. So I email those through, they sign them electronically, and they send them back to me. Once I've got those back, I send out a short exercise and lifestyle type questionnaire. And again, that's, that's online. Uh, they complete it and send it, email it back. Um, once I have this back, then I send out a link to two much more detailed questionnaires about how the young person is coping with things at the moment. One questionnaire is for the young person themselves to complete and one's for the parent carer to complete. These longer questionnaires are then emailed by the participants directly to the study team who evaluate and discuss if this is the right study for the young person based on their answers. I don't see any of the answers either the young person or parents put on this form. I only get told about the final decision. If it is the right study for the young person, then they'll be randomised or randomly assigned into one of three groups running online as part of the study. Now, those three groups, uh, Kate alluded to this earlier, are the first one is a social group where the young people attend onli- an online session, play board, board-type games with others and basically just socially interact. Uh, the second one is a low-intensity exercise group which involves logging in and taking part in a low intensity workout as part of a group. And the third one is the high intensity workout group, which is essentially the same as the same process as the other two groups, but with high intensity cardio type exercises. All of the groups have mental health workers attached to them in addition to the exercise professionals and there are breakout rooms where the young person can talk to someone privately on a one-to-one basis.
0: Okay so basically you've got sort of three groups that your young people are going to be assigned to and so they'll be doing a workout in their own home presumably like a sort of hit workout type thing is it for the high intensity yeah. one and then like yeah and then more of a sort of aerobic less but less aerobic middle kind of group and then otherwise it's board games just to presumably get that sort of checking that it's not just the social side of things, it's it's the actual exercise that's making the difference. Is that right?
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. So I see.
2: When we have enough young people signed up to take part, one of the exercise professionals then contacts a young person and their family to give them the details of the session times, how to log in and those sort of details. At the And med- how
0: often are they doing it each week then?
2: Okay. The sessions will be twice a week for an hour each session, and they'll run for 12 weeks. At the, oh, end, right. at the end of the study, the young person and their parents will be asked to complete another set of questionnaires, very similar to the ones that they completed at the beginning of the study. And those two sets of questionnaires will be compared, the original ones and the ones they, they do at the end. And this is how the study team will work out if joining one group over the others ha- actually helps improve mood. Now, at the moment, it looks like the this session's Probably won't start until late March, early April, at the earliest.
0: And so they'll be online with a group of other people that they can see, sort of thing, like yep. while they're doing their exercises. Yeah,
2: yeah, like a like a Zoom. As I said, you know, there are breakout rooms, and there is a chance to actually just just talk to a mental health worker on a one-to-one basis.
0: And is that is that. So that's after the exercise, or during it, or, Do, or just at a different time.
2: During, uh, before, during, after, yeah. You know, those mental health workers are there for the young person.
0: Oh, great. So they can have a bit of a chat about how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, OK, fantastic. So... I just say um, one more
2: thing, Claire? Yeah, okay. of course. Quite a lot of young people have asked if they can choose which group they go into. I'm afraid mm-hmm. the answer to that's no. If Because if people were allowed to choose the group that was most comfortable for them, we wouldn't get the objective... An objective idea of which type of intervention was most helpful.
0: So, for the sake of like the research, you have to take the group that that you're given, kind of thing.
2: You do, you do, but but we've spoken to the the main study team, and if the young person would like, once once they've gone through the twelve weeks of the study, if they'd like the videos from, for instance, say they got randomised into the the board game group, but they really wanted the the high intensity workout exercises to do on their own then we can send out the videos of the those workouts so that they could have those themselves
0: oh that's great do you think that there might come a time when young people with depression are like prescribed an exercise regime instead of perhaps antidepressants or counseling
1: we had a bit of a chat about this didn't we kirsten um because i think i think the way forward really is about providing choice Um, To young people and families. It's not about having any one model over another, because I think um, like a lot of adults, children have very defined personalities and, you know, their personalities will impact on what treatment will work best for them. Um, It will empower them to make a choice that's right for them, which is incredibly important. And I think, you know, nature of things like depression may differ. So um, I don't think there's going to be a one route for everybody. So it'd be great just to have choice. It will be great to have options. It might be Mm -hmm. that um, sometimes it might be exercise and medication or psychological therapies and exercise, psychological therapies, medication or all three. I, I just think it's really important to have choice.
2: Yeah, and have have another tool toolbox really.
0: That's great. And so, have you had much interest in the trial? How's it going? It's going fine.
1: There's been quite a lot of interest. It's a national study, so obviously we're not the only trust that are recruiting to it. Uh, nationally, there's been one hundred and twenty six young people that have expressed interest of which 33 have been within our trust, which Kirsten is working hard to get through all those referrals um, to see if they're eligible. A lot of our support is very much, sort of the interest coming through is thanks to Ormiston Families team who are talking to the young people that are being referred to them. But we are also looking at involving schools and other youth pathways who may see young people that will be suitable for the study as well. As we say, it is a feasibility study. Um, so the idea of a feasibility study is very much to um, try it out, really, and see. It's an opportunity for the study team to identify and find solutions to any of the challenges that come um, come our way, which there have been quite a lot. Um,
0: you know, especially especially with COVID. Especially, really absolutely, especially with
1: COVID, and. Um, So, you know, and it is about looking like, where are we getting the referrals from? This is why we're now talking about other um, pathways for referrals. We're not getting the recruits that we were hoping. Um, But again, some of that is about covid Um, Some of that is just finding out what works and what doesn't, which is the whole purpose of a feasibility study. So we don't see things in a negative way when it's feasibility. It's all really, really useful information. So one of the things that we're trying to look at is how can we improve the um, participant experience and improve the outcomes of the study as well. So in rela- in relation to the pandemic, the um, study team have had to respond really, really quickly to lockdowns and changing the processes and, and having to adapt the intervention groups to actually being online and what does that mean? And whilst that's an adaptation in itself, what we're then seeing is a change in response or a potential change in response where we're seeing young people are a little bit techno fatigued. Um, it's right, a whole different yeah. kind of concept to have to do intervention on, um, you know, via a Zoom, via a phone or via an iPad. It's all very different. You know, no one um, sort of device is going to be the same for for a person You know what's their space at home. So there's a lot of new things we've got to consider. That if it's deemed that it could go to a full-blown trial, whether it goes fully face-to-face or whether we provide choices, these are all. This is the fun bit of the feasibility is working all of this out. So when we sort of say how well is it going in that respect, we're ironing out an awful lot of challenges. So it's going
2: really, really well but as a researcher that's that's one of the things that i like about this because it it, it's already challenged assumptions that i had like that young people would prefer to do it online as opposed to face to face with complete strangers but in fact what what young people i speak to are telling me is you know yeah if if it means that i can actually actually see someone and interact with them face to face i'm in but please don't ask me to do anything else online I just don't know.
1: And I think sort of moving forward, obviously, hopefully, you know, we might be looking at face to face sessions again, and it will be really interesting then to compare and contrast how -hmm. the recruitment rates work. The study team will have a much better idea of how to run it really, really well. So not only do we get great quality data and evidence, but participants that come on to the research will actually have a really positive experience and
0: hopefully get something really good out of it. That's really great and I don't like to talk about a study without just addressing sort of patient and public involvement. Obviously that's always a really big part of our studies at NSFT. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how that's happening with this study. Yeah,
1: um, the central study team have basically been very clear that PPI is an important part of their journey as as well. So they have three members of the their sort of PIRG, which is the Public Involvement in Research Group, on the trial steering committee. They've also established a young persons advisory group with membership of young people across the east of England where we're conducting the study and that's Hertfordshire, Bedfordshire and Norfolk. So there's, they're, they're really drawing in young people's opinions and advice not just at the development stage but literally as we are progressing along just Making sure that young people um, have a, an opinion and guide how this study is going to develop and, and move forward. They designed the artwork for the logo that we are using, um, which is great. So it's not just, you know, some of it is about the artistic side of things. The intervention protocols have been reviewed in light of the COVID restrictions through the Young Persons Advisory Group. And I know certainly when they were looking at The um, study arm of things like the the board games, the more sort of social contact. you know, they've worked very, very closely with the young person advisory group to actually say, is this engaging? Is this going to be good? What sort of activities should we be providing within that arm to engage people?
0: yeah I was wondering like what board games are they what board <laughs> games are they offering I mean like that must be quite a big deal isn't it
1: yeah I don't know actually um no, no neither do I um I, I think they're still kind of clarifying it but um they're very...
0: if they turn up with monopoly people might be a bit like, oh, oh, no. Like, no, last year <laughs> um
1: so yeah so again all the, the the formatting and the wording of the questionnaires all of these sort of things so you know um they are a study team that really do value the input of young young people's opinions on how the study study should be run.
0: Oh, well, I'm sure it'll be a huge success. And if people want to get involved with this particular study with us, what what should they do?
2: So, young people can young people between the ages of 13 and 17 can can refer themselves into the study. And at the moment, our referrals are coming from Ormiston families. So, if If the young person has been referred to Ormiston Families, um, they can they can speak to the the mental health workers there and ask us to be referred into the READY study. Okay, so if you're interested in the study or, you know, somebody that might be, you can you can self-refer using the link notes from this podcast.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I'll put the link on the show notes um, for anybody who's interested in taking part or just wants to find out more, because that's what we always encourage people to do is find out a bit more about the studies that we have on offer, um, get in touch and then you can make an informed decision based on on what we can tell you about the different studies. And we also have a database for young people so then we can keep you on there and um, refer you onto on an appropriate study that we think might be of interest and you can find out more about that and decide if you want to take part. Okay. Brilliant. Guys, thank you so much Kirsten and Kate. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Claire thank you for listening please do subscribe it's free and means the podcast will automatically download every fortnight do rate and review mental health and you and follow our social media accounts they're all in the show notes but more than anything look after yourself